candid, captivating, compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Listen in as Dr. Dina, medical marijuana pioneer and inspiration for the award-winning TV series, Weeds, shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Cannabis Confidential with your host, Dr. Dina. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. I'm your hostess with the mostest when it comes to cannabis and hash. Today, I have my all-time favorite guest. And there is a very special reason why he's my all-time favorite. You see, I first got into the cannabis industry in the early 2000s. And I had the wonderful task of convincing my local city council as to why we needed cannabis and why we needed dispensaries, why this should be available and and safe access was so important. And I brought a book with me to this meeting and it was about cannabis and HIV and and how these are so important. Uh, If you are HIV positive, uh, or have HIV, you definitely should have a relationship with cannabis. And the city that I live in, West Hollywood, has a really large amount of people living in the city with HIV and AIDS. So it only made sense to use this book as as sort of the the turning point to kind of push the the thoughts of the city council around. And you know what? Lo and behold, it worked. And today we have the author of that book. So Ethan, you are responsible for everything that has happened up to this date. Uh, please welcome Dr. Ethan Russo, a real doctor. As you guys know, I am not only board certified by Snoop Dogg, but we have a real doctor today. So welcome, Ethan. <laughs> Thanks so much. This is so exciting. I, I have been your biggest fan for so many years and we've missed each other in passing and events and and different things and and, and I've, I would have to go to YouTube to see you speak but recently we were both in Mexico for Cana Mexico staying at Vicente Fox's compound and we got to spend a little bit of time together especially in our, our cab on the way back to the airport and you are the most fascinating person I think in the entire cannabis industry because you have done the homework to really study this plant in a way that most people can just, we have anecdotal uh, experience with this plant and you have scientific. And so this is why I just had to have you on this show, of course. Um, But first I want to just get into a little bit of how you found your way into uh, the cannabis space. Uh, Sure. Well, you know, as I sometimes have said, uh, Raphael Meshulam discovered THC in 1964, whereas I discovered THC in 1970. The circumstances were quite different, I can assure you. Um, But after that, um, you know, basically it was the 70s. We all, uh, those of us who are old enough to remember, really expected that there was going to be a liberalization of access to cannabis, but uh, things really went in the other direction. So in 1980, right before the uh, election of that year where Ronald Reagan came in, I was a neurology resident at the Veterans Administration Hospital and the neurology attending had a smile on his face and handed me this chart of a patient he wanted me to see in the clinic. So it turned out that this was a vet, World War II vet, 
he had a condition called myasthenia gravis, an autoimmune condition that produces muscle weakness. And this is so severe that he would end up in the intensive care unit on a ventilator multiple times a year. That was the case until he started putting cannabis in his, his pipe tobacco. And he showed me and there were flecks of cannabis in there. And, uh, but the proof was in the proverbial pudding because he had cut down his ICU admissions to zero to one a year. Um, wow. So I thought this was fascinating, but um, you know, you, you go in and out of clinics and I really wasn't able to follow up with this fellow. Uh, subsequently, when I was in practice in neurology in Missoula, Montana, um, uh, fast forward to the 1990s, even at that point in a uh, remote area of uh, flyover country, um, about a third of my multiple sclerosis patients were using cannabis and, uh, you know, a fair number of my uh, patients with epilepsy. Um, so by this time, I knew that this was uh, serious medicine. Um, and it was in 1996, of course, that Prop 215 was approved in California, and things really took off from there. In the meantime, I had uh, done a sabbatical in the rainforest in Peru and realized uh, that my uh, great love and medicine was actually medicinal plants. Um, those two things happened at about the same time, and I quickly became embroiled in the cannabis controversy, and it became a second career. That is fascinating how just the honesty of your patients really just opened up this world to you. Oh, yeah. Well, this is a situation where, um, well, it's a funny way to put it, but this is a bottom-up education process in that it most frequently is the the case that uh, it's the patients that are uh, at least prodding their doctors to get educated uh, in this area of cannabis-based medicine. I think in the past, though, most people were too frightened to tell their doctors about their cannabis use, and and a lot of doctors probably would maybe have a different opinion about it if, if their patients were honest, but it's fascinating now. It's become so normal. A bunch of uh, oncologists that I'm working with over at Cedars-Sinai, five years ago is when they first contacted me over their first case, but now it's become like the normal, like someone gets diagnosed with cancer and they put them on a schedule for their chemo and their radiation and they send them to the store to pick up some cannabis. Well, that's what we call progress, but it's been hard in coming as uh, you're well aware. Um, yeah, I was quite an outlier in Montana at the time, and I'm sure my colleagues at uh, the Western Montana Clinic thought I was crazy, but um, uh, you, you brought up an interesting point. Um, it's critical that uh, doctors be open with their patients and as much as they can be non-judgmental because I clearly was getting information from patients that they just weren't comfortable imparting to their regular doctors. Uh, not just uh, cannabis use, but use of supplements, herbal medicine, etc. Um, the tide turned, however, when they saw the kind of results that we got. Um, at that point, I was incorporating cannabis and other herbal medicines into my practice along with conventional agents. and. We were getting really good results, and eventually um, my colleagues came around and would refer me patients that were inclined to go in that direction. And 
what do you notice first, like when you have a patient that comes in with MS, for example, and they were not using cannabis and then they start, I mean, what do you, what is the difference that you see in them? Well, it really is a myriad of uh, different effects. Um, We know that cannabis is really effective in treating spasticity, muscle tightness that's associated with MS. But also, uh, people may not be aware that pain is a prominent uh, symptom in many cases of MS. And it's what's called central neuropathic pain, nerve-based pain, excuse me, pain in the brain. And this is something that most drugs treat very poorly, but where cannabis shines. So there's that. Uh, Another disturbing uh, condition in MS is problems with lower lower urinary tract symptoms, so bladder problems. Uh, There's alleviation there. Sleep disturbances. Cannabis does a great job there. The vast majority of people with any condition where cannabis is used will report better sleep, not because the drug knocks them out, but rather it allays the symptoms that are interfering with sleep. Then we've got an intangible, I'm going to call it. Um, uh, MS is a really uh, difficult disorder. It commonly affects people in the prime of life, women more than men. Um, And it is very anxiety producing because a person with it may be be fine one day and the next day they'll wake up paralyzed. Um, And it's this uncertainty uh, that really can play with people's uh, sensibilities. What I noticed uh, was that the people who are using cannabis on a regular basis really had a much better emotional adjustment to the disorder. They could dissociate themselves from a a little bit and even laugh um, at situations where, gee, you know, I was trying to do this and all of a sudden I got fumbly because my right hand uh, wasn't working. And they'd laugh instead of uh, having a catastrophic reaction to what obviously uh, was a major problem for them. Well, you're just name, you just named at least five different medications that someone would have to be on that was replaced with cannabis. Uh, good point. And we're finding that in all the uh, surveys and long-term studies of cannabis, how it's producing opioid sparing or the ability to reduce or eliminate benzodiazepines and antidepressants. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, in the past... There's been this debate about uh, whether big pharma has really opposed cannabis and lobbied uh, against it because of this kind of fear. But, um, you know, really we're getting substantiation for the fact that uh, cannabis can replace so many conventional drugs. And that is a really important message that we want everyone to be thinking about right now is how many different medications are you on that can be replaced by cannabis because these pills are, are not good for you. But we're going to continue to talk about that in a second. We have to run to a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina will continue after a word from our most confident sponsors. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads? Make genuine business connections and get premier brand exposure? This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. 
Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Dr. Dina is back with more Cannabis Confidentials, only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back talking about all things cannabis with the one and only Dr. Ethan Russo. So we were just talking about how cannabis has, has been able to replace people's dependency on different types of pills, pills that are causing them to not be able to function normally in in day-to-day life and and maybe hurt their organs right uh yeah i i'm afraid uh you know i try not to generalize but it is the case that uh, a lot of the commonly used prescription drugs have a tremendous number of side effects and in comparison properly used uh, cannabis is a lot safer than uh, many of the drugs it replaces now how did you first feel about all these stories that were coming out with children using cannabis? Well, uh, I am a pediatric neurologist. Um, and uh, again, when I started using cannabis in my practice, that included uh, children in, in specific instances. Um, I'll relate one story in particular. Um, People may be aware of a disorder called Huntington disease. Uh, we usually associate with adults, and it's a severe degenerative disease that leads to death. Um, and um, it, however, uh, in rare instances, it will affect children, and it's a devastating uh, disorder. Um, I had a child with us. We had tried umpteen different drugs to no avail. Um, And although I did not uh, want this child uh, to smoke cannabis, we did try THC as Marinol and she temporarily uh, had some improvement. Um, But um, uh, I had um, many children that on their own discovered the benefits of cannabis on uh, ADHD which is a weird one. It's sort of counterintuitive. But That's me. I was the kid that discovered that. <laughs> uh, I, I was know, like, wait a second. I, they give me Ritalin <laughs> and I'm bouncing off the walls. I would wake up my sister at three in the morning and say, I can't sleep because her closet is a mess. I was like, why would I care about her closet? I had to organize her closet. I was, I, I, 
it made me OCD. I was straightening chairs in the kitchen. Everything had to be, folk, you know, perfectly symmetrical. It was making me nuts. And then I would just take cannabis and all of a sudden it was like the world just slowed down enough to where I was, I was on point with everything. Right. Well, again, some of my teenagers uh, with ADHD discovered this, as did uh, adults with residual ADHD. And these were not people that were talking to each other. And believe me, this is the 90s in Montana. It wasn't a situation where they were reading about this. Um, no, but they're self-medicating. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, and again, this is uh, counterintuitive. One would think that it would produce a greater amount of distraction when in fact um, people concentrate better uh, oftentimes uh, when they have ADHD and use cannabis. Oh, absolutely. If I, if I'm, there's also for me certain times of the day that's worse than others for me. And it's usually in the mornings when I'm like awake and my mind is racing and if I could smoke a little bit of cannabis, I could sit down and focus on a project in total intensity for a good hour and a half not, without even picking my head up or being distracted. And there's no other way that this could happen without cannabis. Sure. Uh, you know, it is a situation where, uh, for the benefit of the audience, um, we don't have randomized controlled trials on this. Uh, there's been a little animal work that supports it, but animals don't normally express uh, ADHD traits. Uh, this is a situation where I think we really need to fine tune what the cannabis would contain to ascertain uh, what's going to be the best mix of cannabinoids and terpenoids uh, to produce the best and safest effect. And what about... Uh Asperger's and autism. Sure. Um, you know, again, we need to provide a little background. Um, about 1% of the population or more at this point will express uh, problems that are what, on what we call the autistic spectrum. The spectrum, of course. Yeah. Um, this means that uh, this isn't one disorder it's a set of symptoms or a syndrome, in other words, and it can range from barely noticeable where somebody just has a standoffish personality and it seems somewhat antisocial to the more severe situation of uh, youngsters who are nonverbal, um, can't stand any change in their environment and can be quite violent. Um, but we are seeing anecdotally remarkable benefits of uh, cannabis in uh, patients with autistic spectrum. Uh, additionally, there have been some fairly large studies from Israel on an observational basis uh, showing about 83% of patients with improvement. Uh, and again- That's uh, huge, that's sure huge. But uh, I mean, it can be even better than that because uh, the material used wasn't necessarily standardized. Um, it wasn't necessarily the best profile, uh, but there are programs now um, trying to look at this and aiming towards formal clinical trials with what we hope will be optimized uh, preparation so that we can really uh, try to figure out what's gonna be best to treat this syndrome. 
I have a patient who uh, started coming to me about two years ago and he's completely nonverbal. You could tell he's on the spectrum. Um, he's, you know, he's very, very strange person. And we got in a new type of cannabis and we were, we were sold out on the one that he usually bought. And so he bought something different. And the next day he came in and he said good morning to us. And we all looked at him like, well, what? You, you speak? <laughs> and he handed his cell phone over to me. And he said, he didn't really say anything, but it was like, take my phone. And I got on the phone and it was, it was his mom. And he's, he's 46 years old. He's never spoken in his life. And his mom wanted to talk to us and thank us because she said, you somehow unlocked him. She goes, I've been trying to do this my whole life. And right. so there's certain strains that he gets very verbal now when he comes in and he wants to talk to everybody. And then if he gets the wrong strain, he's back to a quiet man. Well, we're going to have to talk more about that and see what the magic ingredients might be. I think it's just about the terpenes, which I think, you know, that's why, you know, some of the studies you've done, it's so fascinating because it's not about the strain. It's about the terpene profiles. Well, I sure that's been a uh, focus of a lot of my research the last 15 years. We don't have everyone buying into the concept yet, but um, I think it is necessary that uh, any cannabis consumer, whether on the rec side or medical side, have this information available, specifically the cannabinoid and terpenoid profiles of the material that they're anticipating buying. Uh, along with all the safety uh, investigations. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, how could it not? I mean, it, there's so many people use essential oils every day and, and tell me that they don't get sick or they use this, you know, to make them relaxed. It's, you use lavender. It's, it's, it's the same thing, right? Uh, in the end, yeah. So, yeah. So we, we love the terpenes. So I, I think that's really fascinating how you can change the profile of, of something. Nowadays, you really notice it with all these vape pens because they're using a lot of it as like distilled oil and it, the, the terpenes have been burned off in the process. So they have to reintroduce it and it completely changes your high, the same oil with different terpene profiles. Yes, absolutely. I think that's really cool. Uh, we have to run to a quick break so don't go anywhere. We're going to be back. We have so much more to talk about with Dr. Ethan Russo. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina will continue after a word from our most confident sponsors. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth, cheap skin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. 
SmartPots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, SmartPots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? SmartPots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million SmartPots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Expo.com. Dr. Dina is back with more Cannabis Confidentials only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. This is Cannabis Confidential. I'm your hostess, Dr. Dina, and I've got the real doctor on today, Dr. Ethan Russo. So I spoke to you in Mexico a little bit about this very controversial topic that everyone seems to be talking about these days, and that is a very unknown issue called cannabis hypermesis syndrome, which if you look up online on Facebook and you see the arguments going back and forth, there are so many people that say this doesn't exist. Um, there are people that say that it, they have it and they get violently, violently ill, um, vomiting nonstop. And the only way to stop this is by, you know, getting in a hot shower and using a, a, a special cream that makes you really warm. Uh, but there, but in the industry, it's becoming really this tumultuous argument because people feel like by talking about it, we're promoting something negative with this plant that we only want positivity associated with. But if we want to be honest with our plant, we have to talk about everything that could possibly happen. And you were the first person to actually be able to explain this to me. So I want you to explain this to all of our listeners because so many people have asked about this. Cannabis yeah. hypermesis syndrome, is it real or not? Well, it is. Um, and first, let's uh, dispel a myth about this, that this is related to pesticides. That would be convenient, but it's not the case. Um, uh, this is purely related to chronic high-dose uh, THC exposure. That's the only context in which it happens. Um, so for people, can that is there is there a level that you can like don't go over a certain amount of milligrams or this could happen or is it just uh, different for everybody? Well, it probably is uh, different. However, um, it is most likely to occur in recreational users, particularly those uh, using concentrates who have built up a tolerance and are sort of chasing uh, the high that they used to get more easily. Um, so that's the context in which we see it. What is going on? Well, um, it, it, this is a little bit complicated, but um, THC works on cannabinoid receptors, a receptor called CB1, the psychoactive receptor in the brain. If there's too much THC around, 
uh, eventually what will happen is there's a so-called down regulation of the receptor the receptor on the cell surface will actually fold in so that there aren't as many receptors uh, available. Um, this may happen to a different extent in different parts of the brain. Now, everyone's aware that THC normally reduces pain and reduces nausea. It is possible under these conditions of chronic high dose exposure that things flip and that there's an opposite reaction. Um, a lot of the cannabinoids produce what's called a bipolar response curve, uh, biphasic, I'm sorry, biphasic response, dose response curve. That means it will have one effect at a lower dose and it could be an opposite effect at a higher dose. Um, so under these conditions, um, it's like THC becomes an antagonist at the receptor rather than a stimulant, a stimulant uh, or agonist at the receptor. So the end result is uh, people use more and more cannabis and they develop this severe abdominal pain and uh, nausea and, and vomiting with it. As you mentioned, uh, the only thing that seems to help is hot baths or hot showers and it's also been noticed that capsaicin ointment applied to the skin, this is the, the main ingredient in, in hot chili peppers, that also can relieve it. But the real solution to this is abstention from THC. And when people stop, they will slowly get better and this goes away. My strong feeling is if they resume at a much lower level that they're unlikely to uh, have this. I, I do know people that have had recurrences, but it's often been associated with higher dose use. Now, I have a theory, and that is that cannabidiol can help prevent this. Um, cannabidiol, as people are probably aware, shares some features with THC in that both are anti-inflammatories and painkillers, but CBD also opposes some of the side effects of THC. And it may be that uh, having a good amount of CBD along with the THC will help prevent this. Um, and it may be that high-dose CBD could be a treatment for it, but we haven't had the chance to try that out yet. Um, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome is relatively rare, but there have been a couple of hundred case reports in the literature, and certainly people are at risk these days with the wide availability of high-dose THC, say in vape pens. Um, and my best advice is moderation, uh, that people should try to get by on the lowest uh, dose, particularly of THC, that's going to provide relief of their symptoms or on uh, the rec area uh, that's going to make them feel good, but not necessarily extra galactic. Um, that's just something that nobody can maintain forever. And, and So in, in layman's terms, don't ruin your pot smoking by going too hard. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So you know, that's really fascinating, especially since, you know, we've always been taught that CBD is kind of like the rescue to the C THC. So if you, back in the day, if you ate a thousand milligram brownie and you were regretting it, make sure you consume a bunch of CBD and, and your high won't be as bad. You won't, it'll kind of go away. So 
if the THC is kind of attacking your receptor, the CBD would then kind of reverse that, right? I can. Uh, you know, again, it's always better if it is concomitant, if they're used at the same time, rather than try and um, deal with the problem after the fact. That's It's just not as effective, I'm afraid. The old advice back in the day was if you eat too much, just drink a glass of milk. It'll slow down your digestion. <laughs> um, if you ate a brownie, you know. But, uh, you know, in terms of antidotes to THC, and this wouldn't be adequate for cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, but if someone's too high, um, a glass of real lemonade seems to help. Um, black pepper, which contains caryophylline, uh, these are things we know from the ancients and their description of what to do when somebody had too much hashish. Interesting. We're still going back to their advice, huh? Uh, hey, oldies but good. <laughs> Sometimes those are the best ones. So what are you working on these days? Uh, well, you know, I'm really interested in a couple of areas that have been under-investigated. Um, so this would include uh, cannabis use in obstetrics and gynecology. People may be surprised to know that in the 19th century, cannabis was extensively used uh, as an aid to childbirth, to treat uh, menstrual irregularities and pain. Uh, and it also shows great promise um, in a variety of areas uh, in gynecology, especially endometriosis. So there's that. And then we have the whole other forbidden territory of cannabis and psychiatric conditions. Um, I think that we have tremendous uh, potential, not just for PTSD, but treatment of addiction, particularly to opioids, treatment of uh, uh, resistant uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, there's great potential here. And with the right chemovars, chemical varieties of cannabis, we've got real opportunities to improve on existing drugs, which definitely leave a great deal to be desired it's amazing what a what a fascinating life you have helping all these people we're trying yeah your work is going to help a lot of people because there's especially with mental illness i mean there's such a stigma it's like i tried to explain this to my friend the other day i'm like if you had a problem with your kidney you wouldn't have you'd tell people right i have a bad kidney you have a problem with your brain, which is an organ as well, you don't feel like, you wouldn't tell people so much. It's like the stigma attached to it. And a lot of people don't get help because of that, unfortunately. And uh, I think that they've found cannabis a lot of times for self-medicating, but the more studies you do, the more you know products that will come out on the market to be able to help people. It's really fascinating. Well, I share that hope. Yes. And so what do you want to tell our listeners? Where do they find you and find more information about you? Uh, well, currently my position is Director of Research and Development for the International Cannabis and Cannabinoid Institute. That's based in Prague, but I'm still living in Washington State. Um, our website is icci.science, um, and there's a fair amount of information there. Um, a good number of my articles are open source and are available online. Um, and uh, I hope people will take a look. 
So go check them out online. Go read these articles. They're really fascinating. This is how you're going to help cure yourself. Get the get the facts, get the knowledge. Bring these amazing written articles that Ethan has worked on. Print them out. Bring them to your doctor and educate them. So educate the world. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Russo. You are amazing. You are our weed warrior of the week. And I can't wait to have you come on again because there's so much to talk about. We can't even fit it in all in one show. You're awesome. Thank you so much. I'd be happy to come back. Thanks so much, Dina. You are awesome. And you guys, make sure to give us lots of love. We want thumbs up. We want five stars. Share this with your friends and let us know how you loved this episode. We'll see you again next week. Cannabis Confidential over and out. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.